0: I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to 5th in Mission. What's it like to be a nurse on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic? Chronicle reporter Trisha Thadani followed Krista Duran, a nurse at San Francisco General Hospital, through one sometimes scary shift. Trisha is joining me today to talk about the precautions nurses are taking, why protective equipment is still in short supply, and what is keeping them up at night. Trisha Thadani, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I thought your story today on the life of um, Krista Duran, a nurse at San Francisco General Hospital, was really compelling. How did you find someone willing to go into so much detail with you about her life?
1: Thanks. So Chris is actually someone um, who I've known for a couple of months now. Um, I met her. I first met her uh, in City Hall a couple months ago when she showed up to public comment to actually complain um, about the conditions at San Francisco General Hospital with um, a bunch of her other colleagues. So pre-pandemic uh, SFGH, you know, the nurses said that they were understaffed, overwhelmed um particularly by the city's homelessness crisis um and so i actually wrote about the hospital then um and you know so knowing that they had so many issues before the pandemic krista and i have been talking nearly every single day um you know especially days after she works just to kind of give me insight um into what's been going on uh so she's been great she's been super open with me the whole time so i figured she'd be a great uh person to focus on And so the story tracks
0: her from the pre-dawn hours, waking up at her home in the East Bay, driving across the Bay Bridge, getting to the hospital, and then a whole shift and then heading home again. Um, What did you think was the most surprising thing you learned from um, Krista walking you through her day?
1: Yeah. So in one part of the story, um, you'll see how Krista, she was dealing with three patients who were from uh, psych emergency services. Um, who, and she couldn't go into exact details for HIPAA reasons, but she said she was, uh, more concerned about them testing positive for the virus. Mm-hmm. So she was extra careful around them, you know, being really careful to maintain her distance, making sure her PPE, her personal protective equipment was on properly. Um, and then she had another patient who came in for a completely unrelated issue, didn't exhibit any of the COVID. 19 symptoms, Um, but there was something in her, uh, you know, routine check on that patient that was like, man, maybe like if I can, I should test this patient. So all Uh of those, including the PES patients, all four of them were tested and it ended up that the three PES patients were negative and this younger one who didn't have uh, obvious COVID-19 symptoms was the one uh, that ended up being positive. And I mean... I was so unnerved when I heard that and obviously Krista was also incredibly unnerved, you know, thinking and then she's like going back in her head of like, was I careful enough around that person? Was my mask Mm -hmm. on properly? Did I distance from them properly? Um, And it just kind of stuck out to me because it shows that this virus can like really strike anyone.
0: Right. And it demonstrates how so many people can be asymptomatic and yet be infecting others with nobody knowing. right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I thought your details were really great, like from what she eats and her snacks. And, um, but I thought the most telling, um, details were all the routine and the safety measures she has to take before entering the hospital. And after leaving it, it was so long and, and detailed. And that wasn't even the work that's just getting ready to go to work and then safely leave work. Um, and I thought even the details about the number of pairs of shoes in rotation was telling, can you tell listeners about that routine?
1: Yeah. So, um, so pre-pandemic, uh, Krista was, you know, she works these early morning shifts at San Francisco general that start at 7am. Um, and she lives in the East Bay. So, you know, also pre-pandemic, there was a lot of traffic that she had to take into account going over the Bay Bridge. So she would wake up um, well before the sun rises. And she was like, I would just roll out of bed, like throw my hair in a ponytail and then go to work. Um, and, but now her, her husband and her kids have agreed upon this like very carefully coordinated routine so that everyone feels safe when she goes to work and comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was the shoes, the shoes stuck out to me the most, like, cause she has to have, and and shoes are also not something that I thought you would also have to be careful about. Right. Right. You hear about masks and goggles and stuff, but not necessarily. Shoes. Yeah. Not your shoes. So she has like a pair of shoes for the car and then she's a pair of shoes that will, that she uses to walk from the car to the hospital. Um, and then she's a pair of shoes for the hospital. And then, um, she's to switch back into that pair, that pair of walking shoes after her shift. Um, so yeah, she used to lay out her shoes. They each go into different plastic bags. She used to pack her lunch, um, you know, and she's to be careful what containers she uses. Um, and then she lays out her personal protective gear, which is, you know, really just fabric and plastic. Um, and it's and that also stuck out to me because, you know, we keep hearing of personal protective equipment. But what that really is, is an and is a mask. And she's had to reuse this mask um, several times. Um, and she wears a plastic pair of goggles. So to keep her from touching her face, and then she has um, like a beanie basically to put over her hair. And that's I mean, that's it. That's all that our frontline workers, at least in San Francisco General Hospital, for the most part, Where to go to work, which, like Mm -hmm. I said, in the piece is like akin to going into a war zone right now. Right.
0: And then I also thought it was interesting, um, the routine that happens at the door of the hospital after she's done all of that preparation before she's allowed to go into work. So. So what's happening at the door?
1: Yeah, so at the door um, every morning, you know, if you go to SF, if the average person goes to SFGH before the shift changes, so um, before 7 a.m. or before 7 p.m., you would generally see a long line of nurses waiting to get in. So there's only one open entrance for them. And before they get in, they have to go online and fill out this um, this screening that asks, you know, about um, just general symptoms. So do you have a headache? Do you have a fever, um, et cetera? And then they have to show that confirmation to the person at the door, which is like either a guard or another nurse. Um, and then they get scanned for their temperature. And only after they pass all that can they go into their shift.
0: And it sounds like there's a difference between what hospital administrators are saying in terms of whether they have enough personal protective equipment for their staff and what nurses and doctors are saying. Um, because I noticed the fact that she was reusing that N95 mask over and over as one example, that there isn't enough. Why is there still such a shortage?
1: Yeah, I mean, that has to do with myriad reasons from how much the state and how much the federal government uh, is giving them. And so they have it. They have some now and Krista says, you know, they have enough for the day, but they do, they still have to reuse things, um, which is not how you're supposed to do it. You're not supposed to be reusing an N95 mask once, twice, three times. Um, so, yeah, I mean, hospital management, uh, they tell me, I ask them every single day, do you have enough PPE? They more often than not say yes. Um, but for the nurses, like, yes, there might technically be enough but they need to be switching this out way more than they are so the only reason there is enough is because they're being incredibly sparing with it and you'll see in the main picture in the story you can see that krista's n95 mask is actually like slightly crinkled also which should worry anyone
0: yeah i'm heather knight and i'll be back with trisha thadani this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special I'm Heather Knight, and I'm back with Chronicle reporter Trisha Thadani. What are you seeing in terms of numbers of healthcare workers in San Francisco who are infected with COVID-19?
1: Yeah, so that number um, is unfortunately rising. Uh, So yesterday there was 12, um, and this morning I just checked and there's 14. Is that a daily total or cumulative from when this started? That's a cumulative total, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing to note about that is we actually, you know, there's so many more, because of how hard testing is yet, even for healthcare workers, We don't really know the true number. Like it's possible that some have turned up with like a false uh, like a false negative. Um, Maybe some just haven't been tested. There could be some that are in quarantine. So we really don't know what the actual number it is. But still, 14 infected healthcare workers. I mean, that's that's a that's a lot.
0: Yes. And what are the overall numbers for COVID-19 cases at SF General right now?
1: Yeah, so today um, there's a total of 23 COVID-19 patients uh, in the hospital, um, and that's out of 394 total beds. So that's about a little less than 6% of the entire uh, bed uh, capacity is going to COVID-19. Then there's 11 people in the ICU, um, and then 40 people in the last 24 hours have shown up with COVID-19 symptoms. Um, and to kind of put that in perspective, so I've been asking SFGH for this data every single day, and the highest, so today's 23, and the highest that it has gotten um, was 35 total COVID-19 patients on April 13th. Mm-hmm. So since April 13th, it's it's been following, but you know very, very slowly. So it went from 35 to 28 to 25, then it went back up to 27. Um, so, you know, it's been falling, but incredibly gradually, and it's been fluctuating a little bit. So we haven't exactly flattened the curve, but knock on wood, things at least aren't rising like they were a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So it's headed in the right direction,
0: but slowly, but slowly. Yeah, yeah. There was a horrible story out of um, New York over the weekend about an ER nurse who got COVID-19 from treating patients, recovered, went back to work, and then ended up committing suicide on Sunday, um, which was kind of an example of just the horrors of, of being in this job right now. Are you hearing anything from San Francisco healthcare workers about how they're keeping their spirits up or if they're not able to, um, how they still go into work every day during such an awful time.
1: Yeah, I mean, an ER and just a hospital nurse's job in general is just full of, you know, daily traumas. I mean, you're seeing people at their worst every single day. And especially now, you know, Krista expressed to me of like how, yes, the numbers are falling, but... There's so many other things that are happening outside that are sort of threatening that calm that's currently inside of the hospitals. So, you know, she'll read a headline of more than a hundred people at the city's largest um, homeless shelter testing positive. You know, there's all these positive cases in densely packed apartment buildings. Um, you see, you know, the president getting impatient and wanting to reopen the economy and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, incredibly stressful of like, you're going to work, you're doing everything you can to protect yourself, to protect your family. But if the general public doesn't help you out and doesn't adhere to these rules and regulations that have been put on us, then, you know, that day for them is just going to get that much more harder and much more, uh, much less safe as well. Mm Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the numbers of cases here in San Francisco have remained very low compared to other big cities like New York and Los Angeles and New Orleans. Are doctors and nurses worried that these cases, um, that the good outcomes will be reversed if we start to um, return to normal life too quickly? Do they want us to stay inside and shelter in place to be extended further? Right now it's extended through May, but some new activities have been approved as of Monday
1: yeah, so Krista put it pretty well when I asked her that. Um, she was like, us ending the shelter in place policies now um would be like stopping an antibiotic before your course is over. We're like, yeah, you might be feeling better, but if you stop it before, you know, the medicine can really take its effect, you are just you're just gonna make matters worse, if anything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're pleased with what. They've seen so far, um, but you know, there. Yeah, I also spoke to the hospital CEO about this, and she was also like, "Now is it's just not time to let up. There are still things that worry even her." Um, you know, like I had mentioned earlier, the amount of homeless people who have started, um, who have started testing positive, and then the outbreaks we're seeing uh, at these densely populated apartment buildings for generally low-income residents. So there's still like, yes, the numbers might be not as bad, and they might be falling slowly. Um, But there's still a lot of threats out there.
0: Right. And before COVID-19 became um, pretty much all any of us are writing about, you were writing a lot about San San Francisco's broken mental health and drug treatment systems. But they've, of course, taken a backseat to the COVID-19 crisis right now. Are you hearing anything about whether the mayor and board of supervisors still intend to press for major changes on that
1: front? Yeah, that was I was actually thinking about that the other day. It's funny how I mean, that was the dominant conversation of what was going on with our mental health care system. Um, You know, I really haven't heard much chatter about that. Um There was this big proposal, as you remember, called Mental Health SF, where they literally wanted to overhaul the entire uh the city's entire mental health care system. Um, it just seems like right now the supervisors are, um, and every single le- city leader is just scrambling to get people their basic necessities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, moving homeless people into hotel rooms. They're also exploring the idea of like sanctioned encampments. Um, so I would think, you know, San Francisco is a very compassionate city. So I would think once we can at least get a handle on this, um, talking about our mental health care system and drug treatment systems, that will come back more into the forefront um, of the conversation. But right now, it's just, you know, scrambling to get people into places where they can safely distance from each other or safely quarantine.
0: Right. And of course, Mental Health SF would take a lot of money and we don't have that. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So much anymore. <laughs>
1: it's like almost unfathomable. I mean, Mental Health SF was conceived in a completely different economy and different world. And yeah, everything is just turned on its head now.
0: Yes. And how are you doing as a reporter covering these issues? Um, what's it like for you on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it It feels, journalism has always felt important, but it feels especially important now um, that we are giving people the information they need in their day-to-day lives, um, and especially focusing on these healthcare workers, I think, Is really important. And for a lot of listeners, might have seen um, that Atlantic piece that came out um, a few weeks ago that was praising San Francisco for flattening the curve and um, its response. And I, you know, and that was from a national publication. And I do feel like it is uh, very much the responsibility of a local publication to follow this day by day, to follow every single issue that's going on um, in and outside of City Hall. So, where you're kind of seeing a different narrative. come up. So, you know, it's been, it's been an interesting experience and it's definitely exhausting, but.
0: <laughs> right. I think the national coverage of San Francisco before this was pretty universally negative and now it's pretty universally positive, but we can actually <laughs> present the nuanced picture. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of your excellent work and for this great story and for joining me today. It was fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you to Tricia Thadani for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, And to you for listening.
1: Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.